Hello, I'm Amy Day. You're listening to Mend, Life at the Seams. This is where we meet inside the broken places. That intersection of what is lacking and what we have to give. Inside this space, we gather with ordinary people, parents, poets, permaculturists, pot farmers, travelers, teachers, technopreneurs, artists, and activists. People from all walks of life who are taking root at the margins, who are daring to do the brave and audacious work of mending what is broken in this world. Those who have chosen to step into the gap, so to speak, to leverage whatever skills and vision they possess to chart a new way forward for the betterment of us all. And those who are calling us to do the same. This might just be your clarion call to take the thread that you carry, the one that's a piece of a much larger tapestry and to weave a different story than the one you've been handed. So welcome to MEND. Welcome back and happy holidays, my friends. So if you are anything like me, uh, maybe you grew up thoroughly steeped in the religious and spiritual lineage that your parents subscribed to during this time of year. Maybe you sang the hymns, you read the stories, you recited the verses and enacted the little play each year with the cardboard cutout sheep and the nose-picking wise men, and usually a well-swaddled baby alive doll to stand in for the Christ child. But maybe also like me, at a certain point, you absconded with the cultural, religious, and spiritual narrative that you had inherited. Maybe you rejected this Anglo, narrow-minded savior and yearned for a way to connect with this season in your own right. Maybe yearning to enact rituals, stories, and songs that spoke to your own heart, your own values, and carried forth a wisdom tradition that you could solidly support. Because after all, in the absence of the sacred, just what are we left with? Santa Claus? (laughs) So in an effort to replace the consumer narrative, I was lucky to come upon the great work of Kat Kim. Kat is a spiritual teacher and coach who is here to serve the spiritual nonconformist, the misfit, the misunderstood. In other words, a change maker. For over 10 years, she's applied what she knows about behavioral change and spiritual transformation to help her clients create radical nonconformist change in their lives. With an approach that's based in hermetic philosophy, new thought teachings, and the wisdom passed down through the ages by the Buddha, Jesus, and Dr. M- Martin, pardon me, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Chomsky, can't forget Chomsky, she helps dreamers and doers who find themselves holding back or playing small reclaim an unshakable faith, both in who they are and in what they are here to do. So I spoke to Kat in particular about her deep analysis around what she has come to call consumer spirituality, our new cultural addiction. Over the course of our chat, Kat did a brilliant job of breaking down the different parts and components of this thread, and also, and perhaps more importantly, helps it illuminate the ways in which we, 
as individuals, consumers, and creators of ritual and culture and tradition in this world, let's not forget, can do our own work to disrupt this current trend, how we can reattach to the sacred in a way that holds meaning and vitality to us, and how we can disrupt the scarcity and lack model that rampant consumerism thrives upon, and how we can reclaim our birthright as sentient, conscious, and divinely creative beings in an age that would have us believe that we are only as bright or brilliant as the items we flash and carry. One of the great gifts of this podcast is that it provides me the excuse to seek out conversations with strong, wise women. I get to spend an hour or so in their presence and feel my heart, mind, and spirit elevated for days after as a result. And I press record and I get to share the experience with you all, hopefully, as well. So may these words empower you to drop the stories that no longer serve, to abandon the traditions that empty your wallet and worse, bankrupt your heart. May they empower you to step more deeply into your own work, analysis, and culture reconstruction. Pick up the thread, set it to motion in the way that you alone are called to do. Thank you so much for being here. You can find out more about Kat at her website, katkim.com, with a K, K K-A-T-K-I-M, katkim.com. And make sure to click on her blog to read the full, brilliant piece on consumer spirituality. Um, Make sure to leave a rating and review in iTunes if you can, if these words have stirred something in you. Or drop me a line at mendpodcast at gmail.com and share your story. You know, because we, we're living in a moment where almost everything now has been broken open. And the question really is, how will you and I tend to the mending, step in and do the work that is needed at this time? I wanted to hear a little bit more about your backstory. So there's little hints of it here and there on your website, and you are really great about going online and and sharing little tidbits about your life and your background. Um, So I've been able to maybe piece together a little bit of it, but it just has me thinking, you know, like whenever people decide to make their vocation um, something in the realm of spirit, something in the realm of transformational work, I mean, like there's a lot easier ways in this world to make a living, right? Um, Mm -hmm. so it it always speaks to me that, you know, there's, there's a larger story there. Like this person didn't arrive at this path because, you know, they went to school for it and it all the, you know, it just lined up. So I always think that, you know, when you, when you're in the realm of healing, when you're in the realm of transformational work, there's a larger story of personal transformation. Would you mind just, um, sharing with us a little bit about what your own personal backstory looks like and how you got into the work you do? Sure, of course. Um, so, wow. Okay, so I grew up in a pretty um, abusive environment. Uh, my mother began feeding me diet pills when I was six years old. And I mean, let's just say that was kind of the beginning of a lifelong struggle of low self-esteem, low, um, very horrible body image, and um, just absolute no self-worth. And I mean, just a really long story short, I I really started rebelling at quite a young age. I started smoking and drinking at 13, doing hardcore drugs um, when I was 16. And then by the time I was 18, I was um, dealing cocaine. 
and I was transporting it from Washington State to California <laughs> in your neck of the woods um, uh, through by the plane actually so this was before 9-11 and I was I was bringing it over it was actually quite easy it's surprisingly easy um how i could just bring loads of cocaine um, onto the plane uh, and i got caught i went to jail and um i was facing up to three years in state prison and um you know also during my entire um childhood and my teenage years i was i was just i just completely I just really hated myself, like I said, and I, and I didn't take care of my body. I didn't take care of, um, you know, my life. I, I was sitting in jail and I just, I had no remorse, no fear. And it's the type of fearlessness that is not healthy. <laughs> you know, you know, in the personal development world, everyone talks about being fearless and go do your thing. But my type of fearlessness came from a place of, not caring at all what happened to me and my future. So even when I was in jail, I was trying to make deals. I was trying to make cocaine deals. I just just did not care what happened to me. It didn't even it hit me that I'm in a very dangerous situation. By the way, this was Oakland, California. Mm. You know, notoriously known for its high rates of homicides and violent crimes. And there I was, um, just you know, just doing my thing and not even caring. <laughs> and um, it wasn't even until after I got out of jail until, and I had to go to rehab and all that um, because I was also uh, very addicted to um, narcotics. Um, it wasn't until after where I, I cleaned up a little bit, but um, my pain and suffering still did not stop just because I stopped doing the drugs. It, it manifested in different ways where I started um, getting into very emotionally abusive relationships with men at this, by this time I was, you know, I didn't have a job. I, I had, um, was with this man who didn't care for, who bit, he bit a little of my, uh, my ideas for my business. And, you know, I was um, a recovered addict and it, it was just not the ideal situation for a young woman. And it really wasn't until I was walking down the hallway one day and um, to the elevator and I caught a glimpse of somebody in the, in the mirror that, that hung on the, uh, the wall across the elevator door. And she just looked so, I saw this woman and she just looked so sad and so depressed and she was really unkept. And um, my heart went out to her, even at that moment when I was just like, depressed and just wallowing in my own toxicity I just felt like oh my god at least I'm not that bad as I looked at her and and then it hit me like a ton of bricks that I was actually looking at myself in the mirror that was me I didn't even realize that I had become so disconnected with the woman that I wanted to be who I wanted to become how I wanted to present myself how I wanted to look um and who I was being in that moment that I just didn't even recognize myself in the moment. I was, I totally dissociated myself from that person in the mirror. Mm. And that was actually finally the, <laughs> the moment. It wasn't, it wasn't jail. It wasn't, you know, toxic relationship with men. It was that moment in the mirror when I finally decided that I had to do whatever it takes to be the woman that I wanted to be. 
and you know I wanted to be somebody who makes a difference in the world I wanted to walk into a room and have people notice me not just not for um, how I looked but for you know for who I showed up as for my presence and and so that was the beginning of I, I just became really um, almost uh, obsessed about um, learning how to transform myself and it really started off with transformation on the outside I so I actually became certified as a uh, professional image consultant hmm. where I learned about body image and colors and you know how does a woman um, embrace all that she is in the body that she um, she's in with her natural features you know how does she um, illuminate who she is on the outside with colors and clothes and styles like that so I became an image consultant and um, and it didn't stop there though. Then I became a nationally certified per, uh, personal trainer because I wanted to understand what the physical body goes through to undergo transformation. You know, the biology, the nutrition, um, kinesthetics, all of that. And then it went even deeper. And I, um, because what I found was that it didn't matter what a woman looked like or, or um, how much money she had, whenever they looked in the mirror, they were not happy with themselves. And so I was like, what is that? Why? Why? <laughs> and so I kept on going deeper and deeper. I, and then I got, um, I went into a very intensive life coaching program, studied, you know, um, how the mindset works and how our thoughts are really connected to our behaviors. And I became certified as a life coach. And it just kept on going deeper, Amy, uh, mm. like deeper and deeper into the spiritual realm where I began studying, um, you know, consciousness and how um how really everything in the physical tangible world was first created in our consciousness and our subconsciousness and our collective consciousness um in the invisible realm and so so now i'm i'm a licensed spiritual practitioner i am i am considering the ministerial path um so this i got here from a place of just hating myself <laughs> not liking how i looked in the mirror and it just kept on going deeper and deeper and that's where i'm at right now and interestingly though being in you know i've been doing this for over 10 years and um coaching for over 10 years and i did notice though recently in the last few years um the type of spirituality that we're practicing here in the Western world. And I was, you know, and you and I will get more into that, but I just had to really take a step back actually in the last couple of years and, and observe, um, observe how um, we are operating in systems of oppression and consumer capitalism, um, systems that we can't entirely break away from, but they're so ingrained in our society that it has affected the way that we practice spirituality. And so I saw the connection between consumerism and spirituality and how um, really it's, it's turned into something that's become a product to be consumed by, by the Western world. So yeah no I and i consider spirituality yeah <laughs> and i want to unpack yeah. that with you because i think it's really yeah. it's an analysis that 
I, I think there's some pieces maybe of that, you know, it's like, you know, you see every now and again, someone will put up a blog post or something about, you know, like white women's spirituality or, you know, kind of the cult of feel good spirituality. But I feel like in your, you know, just reading over your words, you've done this really brilliant thing of, I mean, it's, it's just a brilliant analysis, you know, of like the consumer culture and, you know, capitalism at large and how that has affected. So I, I do, I want to unpack that with you a little bit more. Um, sure. I, I love hearing that. So just what it makes me think of, I just finished doing um, in my own little local area, this little mini course on the, the koshas. Are you familiar with those at all? No, remind me. It so it's, familiar, it's, but, it's a yogic yeah. concept. So um, yeah. that's kind of my my bread and butter. Basically, is where I can't, kind of my 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 entryway into kind of the spiritual practice realm is from the yoga seats. Um, and so, in in this idea of the koshas, it's kind of energetic anatomy. And so we start from the outermost layer, which is the skin, the physical body, and then you move into the breath, the nervous system, you go into the mind, you go into the heart, you go into the emotions. And finally, you end up in this realm of the spirit, which is said to be right, the most mm -hmm. essential self where there is no division between us and spirit and source and God and each other. Um, and so I just I love hearing that path that you took, you know, and how you started kind of that outermost layer, and it kept yeah. driving you deeper and deeper. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like hearing what you're <laughs> well, it just, it, and it just, it strikes me as, you know, it's, it's where most of us come. I know when people come to the yoga mat, it's usually because they have some kind of a physical malady, right? You know, like maybe on some layer we're hungry for spiritual transformation, but that's really big, heavy, you know, daunting shit. And a lot of us carry a pretty big God wound, right? From our own upbringing and our cultural assumptions and ideas we've been raised with. Did that scare you as you kind of nudged up against that? I mean, because it feels safe, right? To, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to look at, you know, muscles and we're going to rearrange, you know, physical things. We're going to work on your, your color coordination. I mean, did that feel kind of terrifying to all of a sudden be talking about God? And God? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. <laughs> because I grew up... Um, in a very religious environment, my, I have two uncles that are pastors, one's a theologian, and um, I also, I mean, just by the story that I told you, I, I, I was a troublemaker, and so I was kicked out in many ways from even just my family um, um, dynamic, and also in my personal church that I uh, used to go to as a teen, and I remember hearing one time about um the youth pastor talking about how you know there's a group of girls that are causing trouble and don't hang out with them and that was you know that was me and my group of friends and i just felt um i felt so hurt by that you know and 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 that was um in my turn so i started i started causing trouble when i was 13. so by the time i was 14 i completely stopped altogether going to church and um i hated the word god like if anyone tried to talk to me about it i thought they were the dumbest ass motherfucker on <laughs> earth like i was like what are you talking about don't i mean it doesn't even make sense what you know it just i it just completely turned me off and so i never touched that stuff <laughs> and i never went there for 
for years until until you know recently it's about three three four years ago and um the reason i even came back to it was out of um out of i was i was on my knees you know four years ago um my niece was arrested for, for a very serious crime i found out my father had a um gambling addiction he was two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt um and i was in another emotionally abusive relationship somehow you know and that was kind of like shocking to me because here i am i'm a life coach helping to empower women but how you know it was like how did this happen so my world um particularly my niece being in jail and she's now in prison um that one was the most um terrifying for me because um her mother had recently passed away a few years before that anyway I got to the place where I had to completely surrender, Amy, because I had no power over any of these three big things that were going on. Her bail was at $1 million. I I didn't have that. I just wanted her out, you know, and I couldn't do anything about my father's gambling. I couldn't do anything about this man who was like just emotionally um, abusing me. And I just, I got to the point where I was like, oh my God, um, I will break if I try anymore to do anything to try to fix any of this. And it was, it was that moment where I said, I got, I got to let it go. Otherwise I'm going to get physically. I mean, I, I actually did hurt my back because as you know, you know, the emotional stress causes physical ailments yeah. and my lower back went out. I couldn't walk. I couldn't lift anything for a couple of weeks. And it was like, okay. So I, I finally surrendered and I actually did something that I never believed in before. Um, I prayed <laughs> and you know, I didn't even like that word, but I just, okay. I said, God, take this from me. It's all yours. And I almost came in, I was almost laughing while I was doing it. You know, I said, this here, you know, fine, take it. I'm done. Thank you for taking it. It was almost like, uh, it was like, oh, I almost said it from a place of absolute zero doubt that this was God's not God's stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just said, here, fine, take it. And um, particularly regarding my niece, um, and this is just, I just want to share this as a, as a real uh, manifestation of this prayer. I said that, I told you the, bail was at $1 million. Well, um, that million dollars went down to $500,000. And then I showed up in court, um, drove down to Sacramento. That's why I was asking you about Mm, (laughs) driving down to Sacramento. I drove down to Sacramento with my brother to appear in court and that $500,000 went to zero. So Mm. for me, that was literally a $1 million answered prayer. Mm. And I just that's when I had to stop and think about, okay, what was that? What was, what was the, that force, that power that, that came into my life and lifted $1 million off my shoulders? There's really something there. And so um, I dove even deeper and deeper than into spiritual studies. I kind of, um, you know, I practice something, um, it's, it's new thought. It's called um, science of mind. And I'm a practitioner of um, science of mind. Um, it's kind of a philosophy of thought that really goes into um, consciousness. And, um, you know, it, it strings together all of the, um, the, like the golden thread and all of the ancient teachings. And it's not, um, 
it's not dogmatic by any means, uh, but it's definitely a way for us to connect with that oneness that you were talking so beautifully about mm. and how to um, commune with it and how to be in devotion to it. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So, yes, to answer it long-handed, I, I was very scared, but here I am talking about it. And frankly, I'm still scared to talk about God sometimes. Yeah. It carries a lot of baggage. Well, and so I guess that is a beautiful segue to, talk, to unpack a little bit of some of the, the work and the analysis that you've put out, because I have had in my own work in mind over the years, just this idea, it seems like in the absence of, I think, as someone who is raised in the, you know, in a fundamentalist church and religion, and, and again, you know, stepped out of that at a young age, because there was so many things I could not hang with <laughs> in that mm -hmm. world, um, and I could not identify with and could not say yes to in my heart of hearts. Yeah. Um, there's a part of me that thinks that it's, it's a very good thing that in our culture, a lot of, um, you know, fundamentalism and um, strict religious structures are have faded maybe to the background but mm -hmm. there's also a part of me that feels like the only thing that's really risen up to take its place is consumerism you know we don't have an identity mm -hmm. as right. you know, of where we come from we don't have an identity that's connected to spirit to source to, to our ancestry or to the earth even you know all we have is this identity as you know, what car do you drive? How much money do you have in the bank? What's your job title? You know, what are you wearing? Um, and you have done this beautiful thing where you've taken this, you know, because I, you know, I think we, we hunger, right? We as human yes. beings long to return to that source. We long to feel that connection and that identity with a deeper purpose and um, calling, right? And yet we've done this terrible thing. <laughs> In, in our modern world where we've coupled this, you know, maniacal consumption with that longing for spirits. Um, can you, yeah. can you unpack that for us? What, so what is this plight of, yeah. say, I'm going to say it wrong. It's spiritual consumerism. Yes. It's spiritual consumerism. Yeah. It's consumer spirituality. Yeah. I, I just name it as a type of spirituality that we're practicing, but what you're touching on um, in terms of, it's what I, I, I mean, I went down a really dark rabbit hole with, um, with the system that we're living in. And um, it's essentially the established order. And the established order is, is like a control system. It tells us how to live. It tells us um, what to value. It tells us who to like. It tells us who to go to war with. It tells us what's considered beautiful, what color is beautiful. Um, it, it tells us what is, um, you know, considered successful, right? And several hundred years ago, for so many thousands of years, it was religion that was the established order. And um, people followed the religious order no matter what. And people were persecuted um, if they didn't follow the rules. Now, here in the in the Western world, after the 18th century, the enlightenment and the separation of church and state, religion lost its power as, its, as the dominant force and the established order in specifically America, right? And, and a lot of the Western world. But what took its place is capitalism. And capitalism now is 
the established order. It's the sea that we swim in. It's it 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 governs how we operate um, in this world. It it infiltrates our thoughts at every level, individually, collectively, socially, um, universally. You know, and um, it also impacts and affects the way that we've been practicing spirituality. I realized in in the Western world. And I realized, especially, I call it consumer spirituality, and it's essentially the mainstream pop culture spirituality of today that trains us to be better consumers. And it inadvertently perpetuates blind conformity to the oppressive structures of um, global corporate capitalism. And when I say oppressive structures of global corporate capitalism, I'm talking about the systems that perpetuate, you know, um, separation and racism and um, income inequality. All of this is is what we're operating under. And if we let this go and we don't observe it and we don't analyze it, we don't think about it, we just become like minions under this system where we're constantly trying to produce and consume and produce and consume the consumer, the global corporate capitalist system cannot survive if we are not producing and consuming. So it's very existence depends on us to produce and produce and produce and then consume and consume and consume. And that's dangerous because Obviously, it, it's it's eating away at our at our resources. It causes um, so many social disorders, individual um, um, issues. I mean, it's just the problems are vast and many. And I began to see that the type of spirituality that we're practicing here was really essentially training us to be more and more part of that system you know like create a vision board of the bit of your big house that you want you know and or you know create a six or seven figure business by using these manifestation tools or um um you know you can have anything you want in the world you just have to have a high vibration or you know all that stuff which i fed into i i i gobbled that stuff up you know, 10 years ago when I first started reading it. And that's, that's the thing that we have to, we have to take a step back and look at the systems that we're operating in. And we have to take an honest and sobering look at how we as, um, you know, spiritual seekers are perpetuating those systems ourselves, how we are contributing to it. Yeah, no, I, I, I love having these conversations because I just don't, I don't, I don't know that they're happening enough, quite frankly, you know, because um, I still yeah. think you're, you know, I brought up to a friend the other day, um, you know, just this, this thing of this, you know, feel good spirituality and how mm. I really, I, I'm at a place where I kind of want to rail against that, you know, because yes, we all need a place to seek solace and comfort, but yeah. our practices should not make us so comfortable that we're complacent, you know, like our practices yeah. are really to fortify us so that we can go out and raise some hell, you know, like, and, and yeah. <laughs> be a voice for the voiceless and, yes. and do the uncomfortable things. Um, she, and she was just kind of like, but you know, like, but we need a place that's comfortable. We need a place that feels good. And, yeah. um, so I guess I just, I'm, what do you see as the antidote to that? Because I mean, I, I see it in the same, you know, like, cause people, 
you know, I, I see it on the yoga mat where people come and I have them for maybe an hour, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe an hour and a half if I'm lucky. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it, it's the same thing, you know, they're feeling out of whack in their bodies, they're stressed, they're feeling, um, you know, just, they want to feel better in that amount of yeah. time. They don't want to be reminded of the difficulty that awaits them off the mat. Um, you know, they don't want, um, they, they do, they, they want, they want something to make them feel good in that moment. And it seems like our job is to remind them that, you know, it's not just about that. <laughs> you know? So how yeah. do you, what, what do you see as the antidote to that kind of, you know, complacent consumer-based spirituality? What do we, what yeah. do we infuse back into the conversation to counter that? Sure. Um, first, before I answer that question, um, there's, there's certain aspects of this type of spirituality that I think we have to be able to recognize. We have to be able to see it otherwise uh, and, and have a name for it. I mean, you can call it consumer spirituality. You can call it whatever you want, but um, it's a type of spirituality. And, I, and there's like four parts to it that I named um, that I kind of consider the pillars of this, this type of spirituality. And um, for the first one is that this type of spirituality, it appropriates and it commodifies ancient spiritual teachings. So we cherry pick the positive aspects of other spiritual traditions and we package them and we sell them so that they're easily palatable and easily consumed by the Western world. And um, this is essentially cultural theft. And it's, you know, it's, it, it creates really diluted spiritual teachings that help us feel good rather than do good or be good. And so this type of spirituality, consumer spirituality becomes an ego soothing drug rather than an ego dissolving journey. So that's one key piece and it becomes an ego soothing drug rather than an ego dissolving journey. And that, you know, that's a question we should always ask ourselves. Am I doing this to soothe my ego or am I doing this to dissolve my ego? Um, The second part is that consumer spirituality promotes self-interest and personal development and it's like it's it's radical individualism over, over anything else so it's offered not as a way to alleviate collective suffering and create social change but it's um it's it's really a, a way to you know it's really about how can we become more personally comfortable and productive and efficient and wealthy and so the emphasis is placed entirely on the needs of the individual and so it kind of lends to like a spiritual, a pseudo spiritual justification for selfishness that really robs us of any opportunity for meaningful connection and selfless contribution that are really essential to spiritual growth in the first place. Um, it encourages overconsumption and materialism. So consumer spirituality emphasizes that the universe is infinite. So we deserve, quote unquote, to manifest as much as we want. But when this spiritual law is married to consumerism, like I said earlier, we end up just reinforcing the vicious cycles of overconsumption that perpetuate poverty and inequality and corruption and um, environmental degradation all over the world. And the last piece to consumer spirituality is that it neglects humanity. It teaches us to be relentlessly positive, you know, speaking to your point, Amy, um, about feel good spirituality. And it it teaches us to seek pleasant emotional experiences at all costs. And so really uncomfortable human emotions such as um, pain or conflict, um, grief are kind of shunned 
and they're called low vibe. Um, and they're, they're, you know, they're cast as the opposite of spiritual enlightenment. When in fact, these deep emotions, these human experiences are really a portal to connect even more deeply with um, the human suffering around the world. And if we stigmatize these human experiences, we really separate ourselves from those who could benefit from our support and our resources. Because we truly are one of the most um, abundant, we live in one of the most richest, most abundant countries. We have so much available to us, yet we are consumed by these feelings of scarcity and lack. We really have to take a look at that, first of all, before we think, um, I just want to feel good, and how can I alleviate um, some of my own personal pain and suffering? Yes, we have to do that. Of course, self-care, taking care of, um, you know, our personal needs is very important, but we also have to ask the bigger questions. Why do I feel this in the first place? <laughs> you know, I have a car, I have food on my table. We all do. And I know everyone that you're listening to your podcast, I can pretty safely assume that they're in a safe environment. They're well taken care of in terms of having all their needs met. They probably have a lot of extra shit, actually, because that's the culture we live in. So, the, so we have to ask ourselves, why, why do I feel like I don't have enough when actually, and I look around and I have so much around me. So those are, we have to kind of grapple with that actually, you know, and, and that's kind of what I, strangely, I'm, I'm just articulating this right now is I'm actually promoting that we grapple and get really uncomfortable with our spirituality because it sucks to have things um, to become awakened. Awakening is not a blissful experience. It can be. There are parts to it, of course, that can be. But oftentimes, awakening is a big blow to your face. Like, wow, I didn't realize I was living in this, this world where, you know, I'm contributing to so much of the degradation around the world. And here I am, you know, trying to get more and more and more. And so getting uncomfortable is a key piece. Being uncomfortable, actually, I would say, is a, a, a really good sign that you are on a spiritual path. So um, sometimes you, I think trying to um, get away from that discomfort is actually doing more harm than, than looking at it and going deeper. Not to say that self-care isn't important. Um, so there's that. Now to really answer your question on a, in a broader sense, you know, the consumer capitalist culture is const is, is it works because it has us focusing outwards. It has us needing and wanting things on the outside, whether it's tangible, physical items, a car, a house, more clothes, more shoes, um, uh, more technology, right? Or if it's um, seeking things outside of us in terms of um, uh, approval, love, um, recognition, right? So more social media likes or whatever, whatnot. It constantly has, a, the consumer capitalist culture thrives because we are constantly seeking something outside of us. So the solution to this is to go inwards, it's to do the opposite, is to go inside of us. And I, I don't think there's one solution to all of this. 
but what has worked for me and what I teach in my coaching programs is um, that we have to come to a place of really true, authentic, divine confidence where, you know, this divine confidence comes from having a, having an unshakable faith in knowing who you are and what you're here to do. And um, there's, there's three parts to that. There's three pillars to that as well. And Dr. Martin Luther King actually called this the three dimensions of life. And he said that a life is not complete unless you are, um, you are, you are living these three dimensions. And he called them the, the length and the depth and the height of life. And I was so, I was, I loved coming across the sermon because it, it really coincided with what I was coming to too, as in terms of, you know, how do we create a life as spiritual people that, um, where we can be happy, individually happy, but also serve, you know? And so for, he called them the length, the depth and the height, but I, but for me, it was, I call them first, it's your, it's knowing and understanding your authentic self. And that means knowing what your authentic desires and needs are, not the ones imposed on us by the consumer capitalist culture. And this is the area of life where we really, um, we really focus on what our personal needs are, not the needs of culture or even our family or even our daughters or sons or our husbands. It's what do I need as a complete unique individual in this world um, to feel that I am fulfilled in life. And it will be very different from what we think. And so that in, in itself is a journey, really going inwards and discovering what are my real authentic needs and desires and so that's the area where it's all about your self-interest it's a healthy self-interest and the second area is um martin luther king called it the uh, the depth of life but i call it your contribution to society and so this is all about not yourself at all but being aware of how you are just one of billions of people and that you are really part of a collective and how are you going to contribute to that collective that has absolutely nothing to do with your selfish needs um or your self-interest like how are you going to what is your divine contribution to society as a whole and this is being completely selfless in this area and I think this is the area that we don't talk enough about in spirit in in the spiritual circles in um, in at least you know the popular pop culture spirituality that we're seeing around today. And then the third area is your relationship with spirit, with God, with the divine, and having um, um, a practice where you're constantly being reminded that you are not by yourself in this world that you are absolutely a divine creation of god and everything that god is which is only good and anything that's good is abundant god can only be abundant god can only be love god can only be power god cannot be anything besides those things and so 
we have to be reminded of that though on a consistent basis of, of the divinity that lives within us. If God is all those qualities and, and we are a creation of God, then those qualities actually exist within us. Everything that we're seeking, that we think we're seeking in the outside world, more power, more love, more recognition, all of that is already inside of us. And so this is why I say the solution is to is really to go inwards and to connect with that infinite source that we have with each and every one of us. Because when we can then show up as this presence of spirit or God, then and how much can we, you know, how much impact do we actually have? And we don't have to be these leaders of, you know, thousands, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people. You can show up and be the presence of God to one person. And and when you do that, you draw out the presence of God within them. And that's really the power that each and every one of us has. I can see why you're feeling the call to the, the ministry right now, Kat. I think you would have a tremendous place in that world if that's really? where your path. Well, I just, you know, because it's, it's that thing, you know. It's like when I, when I read your words and when I hear you speak right now, just, um, you know, because I, I, I think there is that. I, th I think that's how consumerism has such a hold on us is because we don't have that identity with source, with spirit, yes. right? It's like yeah. when we don't, when we don't, identify with that higher calling with that higher purpose in life mm -hmm. we're adrift you know and it's so easy to say well you can be defined by your work you can be defined by your title you can be defined by the you know, amount of likes you have on Facebook or whatever it is you know like all these external trappings as you say because we don't have that inner link you know we haven't linked up with a higher knowing if you will yeah. so um and it seems to me <laughs> to my limited mind at least like that is the work of someone who you know just decides to step into the ministry or just anyone who isn't working in the realm of spirit right it's like is to remind yeah. us that we are so much bigger and more infinite than the car we drive the job we hold you know like all of those yeah. tiny triple you know like fading details you know that none of it we get to take with us so yeah. um yeah so yeah. I, if, you, if you do decide to step into that oh, I, I think you. <laughs> you're getting you. I, I appreciate that I appreciate yeah. that yeah and I think it's really important to say here that um this is not about renouncing Mm. our culture it's not about renouncing our desires for um purchasing the perfect purse or shoe <laughs> or having your dream home it's not that it's in fact we can all actually probably um learn how to be more appreciative of our physical tangible thing the things in our life um, so it's not about letting those things go. It's about, um, knowing that all of that, all of the things that you're seeking are inside of you. And when you can get to that place, those things naturally magnetize towards you, period. And so this is really about operating from a place of already being fulfilled, already having and carrying the essence of the thing that you desire and being the presence of it. And that is the ultimate killer for the consumer capitalist world because mm -hmm. they want us to need the next popular. They want us to need the new car, even though our old car 
works just fine. By the way, there's a thing called um, planned obsolescence in devices. Yeah. Um, you guys are all listening, so I just pulled up my iPhone. <laughs> um, <laughs> in our technology devices where it's pl they plan it so that uh, it breaks or that we can't use it after a very short amount of time. And um, this is something, a practice they started using um, with the light bulb um, uh, many, many years ago. They discovered that if they actually create a light bulb where it, it blows out sooner, then they just have to, people just have to purchase more. So they have it in iPhones, they have it in ink cartridges, by the way. You know how annoying it is, you print something, your ink goes out, and then there's a sign that goes onto the printer that says, if you don't picture if you don't fix the printer the ink something can break it's that's the message like be careful your printer can break but that's that's all planned that's mm -hmm. all planned and they even had um ink cartridge like this these the ink um cartridges that were very long they actually have a trigger where it triggers the um, the printer to say it's done when actually there's like it's only one third used wow so so this is this is um, the culture that we're living in. And so these, these feelings of need, of fear, of desire, they are deliberately manufactured by corporations. And we have to become aware of that. Yeah. Because what we do is we think that there's something wrong with us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. No, it's, it's really well. And I think it, again, it just, it needs to be brought up again and again and again, because like, as you say, like, if this is the water we're swimming in, we're yeah. so used to not necessarily thriving inside of it or live, you know, like we're, we're existing where you could say we're, we're experiencing our own demise inside of this, this, this yeah. stew, but we, we don't see it necessarily because it's all around us and, and we've, and in us to some extent, you know, we've really taken Absolutely. on the, the maxims of this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. talk a little bit just, so this is coming out right around the holidays in that season. And so I've just been noticing this year more. And I, I think as I, as I get older and, I really struggle to make my own life come into alignment with my conscience. <laughs> um, I, I find more and more, and you, know, you talked a little bit about renouncing, but th there is a part of me that feels like I need to do some renouncing of some of the mainstream traditions mm -hmm. that we've inherited. Yeah. You know, I had the experience of like some pretty profound cognitive dissonance over Thanksgiving um, which was lovely. You know, we had a whole cute, you know, my living room was packed with, you know, people I love and there was an abundance of food and, you know, the wine was flowing and the music and the, but it just, it, it was a feeling of, of excess, you know, at the end of the day, it was like, how much food do a dozen people need? You know, like how much time did we all spend preparing in our own individual kitchens? How much money was spent? How many resources were put together to feed a relative few and we still all left the table feeling like you know we'd had too much yeah. <laughs> and at the same time you know like how many of those resources could have been allocated to truly serve and be of benefit to people who don't even know where their next meal is coming from who don't have that kind of yeah. community so it just you know and so as we move into Christmas um, you know and it, and when we don't have you know a real you know a religious tradition to enact you know we're kind of left with Santa Claus 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, yay, yo ho ho. And, yeah. you know, leave cookies by the tree and, you know, be good so you don't get coal. Um, and so I just wonder, could you, what, what are some of the rituals that you have come to claim in your own life and in your own celebrations that more align with your own calling and your own conscience? Um, because I feel yeah. like we need to create those in order to counter um, the dominant yes. narrative of our culture. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and something that I, I talk about as part of, um, you know, if we're not going to practice consumer spirituality, which is about conforming to the established order, what, are, what type of spirituality are we going to practice? I, I call it um, nonconformist. You know, it's, it's finding a way to disrupt the established order. And so that's what this is essentially what you're asking. How can I disrupt the established order? Um, and I think that's a great question. I think that's what we should all be asking ourselves. And for every single person, it's going to be very different and unique, you know, because we have, we, we come to the table with different backgrounds and different desires. And um, so, you know, how are, how are each of us going to disrupt the established order in a way that, um, that, you know, is, that it's safe, number one, and that feels um, doable in our life. And it's going to be uncomfortable first. Um, I don't do gifts during Christmas. It's, it's just, um, I don't, I just don't, I don't see the point in it actually. I think it's, um, it is very excessive. Um, I, I've been actually thinking about posting a question on Facebook too about, to my, to my friends who are parents and mothers, how can I love your child without buying them gifts um, for their birthday? Because that part, I, I, I just think the number of toys that kids have these days is absolutely atrocious because they don't even play with them most of the time. And it just, it, kids now have their own playrooms and, and it's packed with toys that they don't touch. Um, so, you know, it's, it's making those types of changes. For me personally, and this might sound funny, but, you know, I, okay, I'll just be completely transparent. What I thought and what I really wanted to do, Amy, was be a um, Instagram influencer, okay? I wanted to be like, take all these pretty pictures, get dressed up, and... Um, you know, plaster my Instagram with all these beautiful images. It's like that lifestyle thing that I wanted to show people. And it was like, oh, how cool would it be if um, people actually gave me clothes or they paid me to do this, you know? And I was actually working towards that. I thought that's what I would, I needed to do. And that's what I wanted to do. But I realized, wait a second, that's just me um, perpetuating more of this consumer capitalist culture. I'm just feeding into this big machine that makes me somebody that um, encourages people to buy and consume and buy and consume. And I know it might sound silly, but this is something that I really, really wanted. And this is part of the conditioning of young women too, that we feel like we have to present ourselves in a certain way on social media to be considered attractive or wanted or desired. And 
it was so ingrained in me that that's what I needed to do. I needed to, you know, become my own model and show off on, um, I mean, in my mind, it wasn't showing off, but essentially it's showing off. And, and for me to realize, oh, that's actually part of the system. And if I really want to disrupt the order, then I have to not do that. I, I grappled with that quite a bit because it was something that I really wanted. So even though it's not this big thing that I went out there and did, it was like this, it, it was a big shift in my own consciousness. And I'm not doing that now. And, um, and now I'm speaking about it more. So, so for every single person, it's highly individual in terms of how they disrupt the established order. Well, and I love to, I mean, because it seems like there's a certain amount of intellectualizing that almost needs to happen, you know, because like what I see, you know, what I love about your, again, and I'll just use the word analysis, because I think it's, it's apt is there's been some very, um, you've obviously grappled, you know, with a lot of these conundrums that we're facing as a, as a culture. Um, and you've unpacked them rather than letting them be this big amorphous, like, oh my God, you know, society or whatever, you know, like you've really delved into it and like, okay, how did we get here? And, you know, and like, so you have a keen intellectual grasp of the problem <laughs> as you, as you understand it. Um, and the pieces, the components of that issue, which to me seems like it's given you the opportunity to come up with a counter um, a counter to that, which also has, you know, multiple different pieces and components and pathways. And I think it's really, it's useful. I feel like there's a, a system in there that we could almost latch onto as far as like, okay, here's the problem, right? You know, like we, like you said, we don't, you know, how do we show that we love each other without giving each other things that we, we don't care about, we can't afford, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just sitting with the question and then coming into solution with that too. I think it's really just, you know, if we continue just to ask the question, you know, it's something I know, um, you know, we've been doing that with my daughter's six. Um, oh, and we're, we're raising her with that right now. It's just like, yeah. you know, your family right now is in a period of downsizing and simplifying yes. because we don't want the standard American dream. You know, we, we know yeah. it's a falsity. <laughs> we yes. don't want to buy into it. So like we're, yeah. we're moving into a smaller home. We're renting out, you know, space at our, at our property. We're, and you're getting less stuff under the tree, you know, and, yeah. and it's a real interesting dichotomy because she's living with this reality. And then we go to a, you know, a friend's birthday party and it's like, look at all this stuff. And why don't I have that? And so it is, it's living, you know, trying to teach another way and live another way in a, you know, inside a world that is not quite ready to step through that, that, um, yeah. that passageway with you. But, um, yeah, you know, and, and when you're talking about your daughter, I just, and when she's saying, how come I don't have all of that? I see that, um, that, you know, because she sees like, it, because she can't avoid it. We, all of us can't avoid it. The, the marketing everywhere we turn and how, uh, because advertisements and marketing, they attach our, that, you know, I said, go inwards, look for the thing that you need. They, they are very smart at with attaching that authentic need with a physical, tangible thing. So with kids, it's like the need for joy or pleasure is attached to toys. And, and 
oh, it's so sneaky. We're brainwashed <laughs> with that stuff. So yeah. even if you tra- you know, teach your children, they, they still live in the world where they go out in the world and they see um, um, ads where little kids are having so much joy playing with all these Barbie dolls or you know, whatever it is they see now. And, um, and so it really is not so much about renouncing the entire culture. It's, it's, re- it's really about um, learning how to navigate yourself within consumer capitalism so that you're not drowning by it, so mm. that you're not choking by it. Um, but you're grounded, again, once again, in your own divine confidence. You, you know who you are and what you're here to do. And you know how to go inwards for your source of power and, and peace instead of constantly seeking it um, from the outside. Yeah. I want to, um, well, there's, you know, again, this is, I, <laughs> I, I love hearing your thoughts and your words and your wisdom and all of this. And I could probably ask you many, many more things, but I yeah. want to just, um, I, I know in my own path and I, and in my own work and my own thinking, um, and development, um, as a, you know, facilitator, as a teacher, you know, whatever it is that I'm called to be in this life, um, I, I struggle with feeling like there's so much to be done, um, that I'm swimming against the current, um, that I'm only one finite human being and I have my limits and I, I get lost inside this feeling of overwhelm because, because it feels like some days we're fighting a losing battle. Mm. Um, and I know for you, you know, Kat, you live in, you know, and Seattle has had this, you know, huge tech boom over the last decade or so, Mm -hmm. right. It has become arguably one of the most expensive places to live in, you know, like you talk about consumerism running amok. And I mean, like, it's a really, you know, uh, high end place to live. And yet here you are Mm -hmm. doing spiritual work, you know, (laughs) do you, what keeps you buoyant in in the times where you, I mean, how do you stay focused on the work that you feel called to do, even in the midst of kind of fighting, feeling like you're moving counter to the dominant voices and narratives around you? What do you do to stay afloat and to stay um, clear on what it is that you want to be doing? Yeah, really good question. Um, I think that people who are being called to do spiritual work who are really being called are the people who are being called to go against the grain. And Martin Luther King talks about this all the time. It's, you have to be a nonconformist. Jesus was the biggest nonconformist of his time. And um, this is also why I talk about consumer spirituality, because I really do think it's become a pop culture phenomenon where every everybody wants to be a spiritual teacher uh, because it makes money. So people who are being called to do spiritual work is, is a very serious endeavor and it's not something to be taken lightly. And when we're being called to do this type of work, it's something that we also can't avoid. <laughs> Because when you turn away from it, you're just completely out of alignment and you feel it in your heart and your soul. I think people who are being called to do this work, they are grappling. So if you're grappling with this, you're doing the work. 
um, because there is no easy solution. I think I think spirituality, like I said earlier, it's been commoditized. It's been easily, it's been packaged so that we can consume it easily. At, like buy a book and all of a sudden I'm going to be enlightened. Or um, even with yoga, many yoga circles, it's, it's really about just, you know, get into this stance. And even more so, even on Instagram, it's like, look like this and get all bendy. And uh, it's, that's not what spirituality is. So I think people who are on this path, ultimately will be grappling with these with these uh, with the world out there and then the calling that we're feeling inside of us it's something that we can't ignore i, I wish i had a better answer to alleviate <laughs> once again this this conundrum but there is there's there is none you know we we just have to continue grappling with it and and, you know, like I said, you know, we have to have that relationship with the divine, with spirit. We have to keep going inwards and, and renewing our personal power and our peace and, and finding that place within us that regardless of what's going on in the world outside of us, we are grounded in a powerful knowing of who we are and what we're here to do. There is no time I am more fond of being in my own skin than after the sweaty, heady, gleeful, and grueling experience of leading asana. Standing before a group of 20 or so stretchy pant-clad bodies, familiar to me in form and face by now, doing my best to convey the particular play with gravity, the insistent handprints as they float up into handstands, reminding them to breathe, stay present, smile, and welcome whatever sensations are floating up to meet them on that breath, that moment, dripping down into that morsel of sweat. Laying there, tired little corpses, I thumb through my latest book of poems or pithy tidbits, the final frosting on this lovely cake we've come and baked together once again. And in that, the few moments or hours that follow, I feel almost like myself. I like myself, this me, this version who stands before a full-length mirror, sweaty, covered in my own salty dew, energized, awakened, viscerally reconnected to a deep well of gratitude, grace, strength, wisdom, even a little bit of verve. She is the woman I most want to inhabit. I want to wear this particular sheath and skin all damn day, every day. When I studied theater in what seems like several lifetimes before, I can recall certain moments upon the stage a hit of transcendence. Those infinitesimal windows were the work you'd so painstakingly put in the weeks, months, years before, coalesced in a breath of pure grace. You'd hit the mark, embodied the thing you set out to embody, raised these humble bones and tissues to a place of otherworldly greatness and design. Shakespeare's tragic heroine, Isbin's calm, statuesque epiphany, Glinda the effervescent giddy and good, or a gospel-singing waitress. Each, in turn, 
however fleetingly, sprung to life inside your humble cells, occupying your voice, manners, fingers, hips, and ways. Through humble entreaty, tenacious grit, and dumb repetition, you'd made them live. And perhaps a soul or two in the tiny audience caught sight of it too, and you silently thanked them for witnessing your humble, fleeting, but glorious transformation. And then the curtain closes. The lights go dim. Cinderella removes those damned, awful, cramping glass slippers, and it seems once more that everything becomes just as it was. The glamour and passion of the moment faded. What shimmered mere seconds ago retreats to a dismal, faded gray. Only the memory remains. And this is how I feel with this practice sometimes that in that consecrated space of wood floors, light, sticky magic rubber carpets, and a sweet mist of perspiration, <laughs> I get a tiny picture window with a view of the woman I'd like to be, the world I want to inhabit, the thing I'm aching to create. And then it shuts. By the wind or by my own doing, there it goes, a gorgeous vista once more shaded from view. At times like this, it occurs to me, perhaps, that I am done fucking around with windows. I want to build a whole damn house, repair the one I'm in, or be ready to smash the wrecking ball through an entire wall, kitchen, bedroom, bathroom, be ready to move plumbing, light fixtures, stairs, and electricity. I may have to camp in the backyard for a while while this dream house of mine is being built with these two hands, this heart, this humble stack of bones and fascia and prayers and flesh. For as we know, as the sages, both modern and ancient, have told us, practice is not a means of self-improvement. Practice is not a means of self-improvement. If all you ever gain from this work is a round high ass and a few gravity-defying party tricks to show your friends, you are doing it wrong. Missing the point far from a product to be consumed. It is a prescription for work, a blueprint, which when painstakingly, humbly, seekingly, devotedly employed, will shape the raw materials of your heart and life into a thing of unflappable beauty. The window becomes a door, and then a hearth, a home, a solid spot to knead some bread, retreat from the storm, invite others to bask in its warmth, its glow, a spot to crank up the tunes and dance. And I am told, the longer this practice continues to call me, its sages and seekers, the ever-growing wave of wisdom continuing to wash over me, that this place does, in fact, already exist. This beatific, imagined, inner real estate I catch snippets and glimpses of, stand upon its threshold whenever I pause to breathe, move, 
stretch, get quiet, reflect. It's in me and the mat and the chants and the four corners of my hands and feet, the ancient texts and modern revisions, they're just a part of the map, coalescing in a giant arrow, directing me to my true north. Words, acts, and symbols guiding me home. <laughs>